1: I'm Suzanne Fritz Hansen, enthusiastic iPhone picture taker, and
0: I'm Michael Rubin, photographer, founder of Neo Modern, and grumpy old man. And we're in San Francisco tonight. Welcome. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Rubin. How you doing?
1: I'm doing really well. Very excited about today's show.
0: Yeah, we have. I'm so uh, the whole guest thing is great, and we, I'm very excited about our guest today, uh, Suzanne. This is Nigel Barker. Nigel, Suzanne.
1: Nigel, nice to meet Sh- you.
0: And you too. Nice to meet you both. So, uh, for our audience who doesn't know who you are, which you know, even that's hard to even say. Uh, You know, okay.
1: Everybody knows the famed fashion photographer, I talk to people.
0: I talk to people about photography all the time. Fewer people know who Ansel Adams is. If I'm talking, if I'm talking to people about like, can you name any photographers? You're
2: the only person anyone can name. It's amazing. I, it's a rather sad state of affairs. Is what it is. <laughs> but, you know, joking aside, and not to just hijack the conversation early on, but because you mention it, there is a funny uh, story that I have uh, regarding this very issue. And if you will permit me, yes, I'll tell please, you. Please. So, <laughs> a few, several years ago, in fact, it was about two thousand and six. Um, I got a phone call from American Photo Magazine. Right, one of the most illustrious uh, photography magazines in the business. In fact, the oldest photography. Oh yeah, I magazine. grew up with that. I loved it. So it was in doctors' offices, and it was everywhere. You <laughs> imagine it was *Geographic*? There it was, and you would look through and, and what have you. And it was rather exciting. And I got a call from their um, editor in chief, who said something rather extraordinary has happened. And i uh, I said, well, what? He said, well, we'd love to do a feature on you. Well, I'm like, well, okay. And by the way, this is in the in the height of America's Next Top Model fame, season six. Um, and Ava had been our winner, who was the most successful winner of Top Model ever. Uh, so it, and I was thinking, yeah, you know, I would think, okay, great. Yeah, sure, another interview. This is fine, whatever. Um, and by the way, I love your magazine. I've you know, been looking at it for many, many years, probably 20 odd years at that point. And he said to me, well, this is the thing, Nigel. Um, we do a competition every year for one issue. And in that competition, we asked the, the, the reader to pick their top ten photographers. <laughs> and every year this <laughs> list comes out and it has, you know, all these great famous photographers that the world has heard of, whether it's Avedon, whether it's Ansel Adams, <laughs> whether it's David LaChapelle or whoever it might be, you know, Annie Leibovitz, so on and so forth, Irving Penn, and for the first time ever. You're in the list, <laughs> and, he, and he said it with shock and sort of horror. Almost. And I looked. I remember the sort of thinking at the time, pulling the phone away from my ear, and looking at the phone, and looking back, and saying, "Really?" I said, "Well, that's very nice. What the? How nice is that?" He said, well, he said, "It gets funnier." He said, "You're not just in the list. You're in the list." as number one. No. Wow, that is amazing. <laughs> I, I have debuted in, in, in the sort of pop at the top, you know, top of the pops rather, at number one. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, wait a second. What, okay, well, how did that happen? And he said, well, this is what happened. We had an intern who handled it and she's new. And she saw the list that we were using and we would normally go out to the world and we would offer them sort of the top 30 photographers who we just considered to be the top 30. And they pick from that list she looked at the list and she went, well, there's a huge omission here. They don't have Nigel Barker in it. So she put me in the list without telling anyone. And what happened was when they did that, the audience looked at it and went, oh, Nigel Barker, I know. <laughs> he unanimously kind of won this competition over and above all these other photographers. So he was calling to say, oh, my God, what has happened to the world of photography? And... He, not just did they give me a feature, but they said, for the first time in the history of American photo, we would like to put a photo, a photo of a photographer on the cover. We've never done this before. <laughs> in 90 years, we've never <laughs> put photographs of the photographers that they've taken. Right. We'd like you to be on the cover. So I did something rather special, and I did a self-portrait, one of the original selfies, if you like, which is 2006, of myself, Um, with a a shutter release that I held in my hand with a long cable, we set up the whole thing and I had some models with me. uh, And then I did a story on the inside and it was a fashion story, and I was a fashion story lit by moonlight, which again is not done too often. So when you think of American photo, they often have these fabulous pictures, art photos that are lit with moonlight, because moonlight creates a very unique effect. It's very long exposure, so everything goes very creamy and milky and beautiful and you know ethereal and mysterious and all those sorts of things. But you can't do it with people, because people <laughs> can't possibly stand still for thirty minutes, right, per frame. What you can do is if you put a mannequin that's stationary. So I've got all these mannequins and we dressed them and we did the hair and makeup professionally with hair and makeup artists. We got fashion, total clothes. We set up this whole scene. We did it in Montauk on the beach and um, we photographed this entire fashion story which they love so much. We then did an exhibition but, which traveled around the U.S., but we, we launched it at Bloomingdale's, and it became this thing. So,
1: I love it. It's
2: a long story, I'm afraid, but oh, <laughs> part of it.
1: Well, congratulations. I mean, first and foremost, just, a- that is an epic win. <laughs> Being on the cover of
0: American Photographers, like, that's pretty serious. That's like the cover of Fortune for a CEO, right?
2: Well, except for the fact when you f- realize how I got there, you know, I ah, it's details. It's fortune when you're on the cover. It's because you've literally made a billion dollars. When you when you get to meet on the cover of American Photo because of an intern, it's slightly different.
1: Did you buy her flowers?
2: <laughs> you know what? I actually did meet her. Actually, they had a par- when they had the party for the for the uh, issue. But it was you know she was she was very happy, very excited, and what have you. And they were all very begrudging. It's funny, that the photography <laughs> industry. Has changed a lot because this is also pre-Instagram. I remember when, you know, for example, when Twitter first started, and we were on America's Next Top Model, and you know, Tyra Banks had thirty thousand followers, and everyone was like, "Oh my goodness, that's so many!" Mm-hmm. You know, yes. and now it's sort of thirty million followers, you know, and it's but it, and the world was just changing, so people just didn't get it yet. And in a way, what we did with America's Next Top Model was the beginning of that whole wave of. Except being, you know, things like social media being acceptable, and um, because we, you know, we broke down an industry which had always been very exclusive and always been very private—the world of high fashion photography, models, fashion uh, industry—and we sort of showcased it for for better or for worse. This is what it was like. This is what we do. This is what happens. This is what could happen. And yes, it was dramatic. Um, but it was a television show and, you know, not a lot of people loved that who were in the business because they were like, oh, no, no, you're making a mockery or it's too over the top or it's exaggerated. And I'm like, well, so what? I mean, yeah. isn't that, you know, the drama of a great photograph like Avedon's picture of Devima with elephants mm-hmm. in the background, mm-hmm. you know, one of the most incredible fashion pictures of all time. That was absurd. The model almost got, Davima almost got killed by that elephant, almost kicked her off the thing. And the stories behind it are unbelievable. And, you know, that's the kind of thing we would do on Top Model is put model in front of a sort of a roaring elephant. And people would be like, oh, that's ridiculous. We're like, well, no, it's not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is Avedon or Irving Penn, are these uh, photographers, it inspired you?
2: Oh, of course. No, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, Avedon is someone who I've always admired. Um, I've actually lectured on Avedon for, um, the Avedon society and, and, you know, and they have, they've had exhibitions of his work, obviously all over the world. And I've gone and given sort of seminars and talks about Avedon. Um, so I really absolutely admire his work. I mean, one of the things, one of my favorite Avedon stories actually, and it's something that I've taken to heart myself is that, you know, he didn't just wait for things to happen. Avedon, is a photographer who made things happen, and oftentimes when I'm talking to photographers, uh, you know, and I'm sort of giving a masterclass perhaps on photography, and they ask me, you know, what's the difference between being an amateur and a professional? And one of the big things is, you know, I don't get paid to fail. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can't fail. That's not an option. I can't just shoot and hope to get something. I have to get something. So, and I've given a finite time to create that image, and. And that's the job, right? And so you have to have tricks up your sleeve to make those happen and one may recall, and if you don't, young photographers out there, you should be looking this up as I speak. But, you know, you look up Avedon and you look up his pictures of the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. And the English royal family historically um, had never really shown any emotion in photographs. They were always very stiff, they were very set, they were a certain way. And he was being commissioned to photograph them. And, um, you know, this, the Duke was about to become king and what have you, or could have become king. And they, there they were, it, you know, they had shown up at the studio and they were, had their hair and makeup done and they were in front of them, been actually led to the camera. And this is how the story goes. And they were, where is Avedon? Avedon's not around. Well, this is crazy? How is he not around and we're here? We're the royal family, we don't wait for anyone. It's outrageous. You know, and they clock ticked and ticked and finally they were really getting quite upset. And you know, their handlers were like, well, we don't know what's happening, we don't know where he is. And then all of a sudden Avedon comes sort of rushing into the studio and says, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, I'm so late. On my way to the studio, I was in my car and this woman walked into the road with these corgi dogs and I hit them and I think I killed one of them and I'm so upset about it. So anyway, I'm so sorry. Meanwhile, the Duchess, who bred corgi dogs, um, heard this and was already upset and worked up because she'd been waiting for so long, burst into tears. The Duke went and was like, oh my goodness, darling, I'm so sorry, and looked at her and kind of wiped a tear off her face. And at that moment, Avedon went, click, took the picture. And And that picture actually, it got released. I mean, one might have thought that it would have been taken and said, no, 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 you can't use that picture. But it got released and it, did something for the English monarchy that had never, you know, hadn't never had happened before, and it, it, it humanized them, and it became this historical picture of the royal family showing emotion, showing care, being loving, um, and it was, a, it was a revolution. It really was the beginning of the modern royal family that we have, and again, it come, boils down to the power of creating an image not waiting for one to happen. And I'm not saying that one needs to, you know, make up But And by the way, he hadn't killed a dog and he wasn't. (laughs) He made that that whole thing up. The whole thing was made up. He'd done his research. He knew that that had happened. And so he had just waited in the wings for them to get wound up enough. He then just run in and sort of told this story in order to create this reaction um, and made made that happen. And then took the picture.
0: Have you ever done anything like that?
2: But you know what? Not necessarily that specifically. But to take it, to take the essence of what that's about, it's about knowledge is power, um, understanding who you're working with, you know, playing the right kind of music so that that person gets in the mood, um, you know, and, and figuring out you know, what, what that, you know, I do all kinds of research. I'll do, you know, what does this person like to eat? What kind of music does this person like to listen to? You know, and then sometimes you, you'll play against it. You'll do something that might provoke, you know, a different kind of reaction or a different, you know, because so many things set the tone for how you're trying to create that picture, that moment. You know, what's the narrative behind the picture? And what are you trying to do? You can't just sit there and say, you give me the story. Mm -hmm. I mean, one can, but that's called reportage. Right, but uh, as a portrait photographer, you know, it's. It, I think in order to have a style, in that, in order to be booked because of what you do, not because of what your subject does, you need to also inject your signature into the picture. And so, therefore, there's your touch, and that is your the way you re- react and you relate and your chemistry and all of those aspects. So, you know, that that for that part of it, it becomes a bit of a dance. How would you describe your style? Like, do you do you have a look or a, a, a thing that you can see in your pictures? Right now I'm wearing shorts and a hoodie, but um, <laughs> and I've been known to be called the fashion mullet, by the way, which is you know business on top party on the bottom. But, you know, <laughs> um, no, joking aside, I mean, I you know I, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think my style is about reaction. It's about emotion. It's about feeling. Um, I'm all about the story. I mean, I am a fashion photographer, but as you know, similar to, for example, uh, of the of the same kind of style as an, uh, not I mean, not to put myself in Avedon's shoes or an Leibovitz. Go, Go ahead. But it, it's but it's those are the sorts of people who I eh, you know look to emulate. They're, because I because it, they shoot fashion, but it's not about the clothes first. It's about the person first. And if I my idea is is that if you fall in love with the person's the motion in the picture you'll then, you'll first of all stay on picture and then you'll then look to see, oh, they're wearing an Armani outfit. It's not, oh, they're wearing Armani, I love that jacket. Oh, look at the model, he's cute. It's who's the model? what's his name? What's his, what's his story? Why is he look agonized? Why, you know, why is he look alluring? Where's it? You know, what's he looking at? What's the story? You know, these look like Lawrence of Arabia. I don't know what's happening. And, and then you're like, you are like, you know, you, if you fall in love with the picture or you you're drawn into the photograph at that point, your eyes then will move around the picture. So you start with the eyes. My, when I look at a picture, I hope people look at my pictures and they look to the eyes and then they go from there and they see the story and they move around the picture and they discover what else is happening. And then all of a sudden you want to dress like this person. You want to smell like this person. You want to be like this person. You want to travel to where they are, you know. But ultimately, you know, it, it's about the individual's story first. Interesting. Do you, uh,
0: um, you you're a commercial photographer, do you take pictures for fun? Do you like at home and of your family and what drives the rest of what's the rest of your photography like
2: well actually i would say that i all my photography is for fun nice (laughs) it's not not that i'm a commercial photographer and that part's not fun you know it's all for fun i've been incredibly lucky in my career i mean i literally it's bonkers i think because you know and it's hard for me to say to people this is what you have to do this is what needs to happen I have always been a creative individual. I've been uh, fascinated with any sort of art since I was very small. Um, I I like to draw and I like to do pottery and I like to do sculpture. And I, you know, I currently have my own furniture line, which is a separate business that I do. But, you know, photography was something I found early on my science teacher, my biology teacher actually taught me how to print um, when I was about 14 and um I sort of, the love of, of, of photography started at that at that age. And um, it was just another medium. It wasn't necessarily my favorite medium, but it was a fun one. And it, I sort of got into modeling early on and um, myself when I was about 18 um, in England and then traveled a little bit, and, and this was early, late 80s, early 90s. So a very, very different era to obviously to today. Um, but it was at that point that I discovered really what photography could be. And I hadn't realized that one could be a fashion photographer and sort of that's a job. Because what you know, I understand when I was a child, there were no college degrees in photography. That wasn't a route, you couldn't do that. There was nowhere that was teaching it. Mm-hmm. So you had to have a love of photography. One, you had to be able to afford photography because film and printing and processing and all that was very expensive. It was a sort of rich man's hobby. Um, and, and you know, I had the 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 luck. My mother bought me my first it was a 1957 Brownie in an antique market that shot 120 film, and that was my first camera when I was about tw- sort of I don't know 11, 12 years old. Oh, wow. um, not that I'm from 1957, by the way. This is not a, <laughs> <laughs> an old camera. And um, but I fell in love with taking pictures, and, and you know, and when you when you shoot film like that, you you really agonize over the details because for every frame you know you're spending a few dollars or whatever it might be per roll, and so you have to get it right and then it takes several days for you to get the pictures back yeah. and then you went to see what you got so you would you know that the, the whole craft was very very different you yeah know?
1: do you have any of those pictures that you started taking when you were younger or do you oh, have yeah. any pictures that you t- that you've taken recently even that are up in your in your space and in your home
2: oh yes no for sure absolutely i mean but- i you know I, I'm, I'm, I, I also work with a company called Mimeo Photos, which we print books and what have you. So I'm, I'm an avid printer of the pictures. And I think it's very important. I mean, it's, I think the publishing of photography is a very beautiful thing. And the printing of pictures, of, of course, is being a part of the publishing is, is key to photography. You know, it's as much as we are sort of consumed with the digital process um, and, you know, creating a ton of content, You know, the editing and the finding of the picture that really tells the story, that one moment, that one fraction of a second, um, or 30 minutes if you're shooting with the moonlight. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's that that, that picture that that, that is caught, that is saying what you want to say. And, And if it really works, that picture, if it really has come together, then it will stand the test of time as a printed picture. So if you really truly think your photograph has what it takes, then print it
1: do you know do you do you know like when you take that photo do you get that feeling like i've got it this is it or do you wait until you're you're kind of you're editing in that process
0: oh no 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 i know (laughs) oh really as soon as you push that button you can feel like
2: got it oh no it's like no it's 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 absolutely no it's more than that i actually as i'm shooting the hair on the back of my neck will stand up and i it's like this incredible high you know that you're getting at that moment, and you're like, "Oh my god, it's all coming together. Everything's." Oh, perfect. And I'm like, just super excited, and you know, I'm shoot, and I'm done. I'm like, it's done. And I, one can shoot more, you know. Of course, you know, who knows whether something else isn't going to happen. But the reality is, that most of the time, that I, you know, I find that it's not about labouring the process, you know, unless that's for, there's a reason for it. It's not about just, you know, I don't, I don't suffer from much self doubt. <laughs> right? So you know, the, 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 there's a time when some people are like, oh, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, who's going to I don't think is I've never really shot for anyone else. Uh-huh. I've always only ever shot for me. And so I, my clients have to understand that I don't really care whether they like it or not. And that sounds ridiculous. But it's it's the, it's a sort of, you know, I feel that I have to shoot for what I like. And then you booked me because of the way I shoot and the, my style and what okay. I do and my interpretation, and it's very my, my, my. I know, but when you are an artist, you have to know when you've finished the painting. You don't. Yeah. You can't imagine Van Gogh saying to someone, you know, oh, should I put another sunflower in? Yeah. <laughs> is The iris is it blue enough? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, there's no question of that. You know, it's sort of, and not to say that one is Van Gogh or one is, you know, But it, there's, there's that, there's the, there's the principle. Of, of, this, of shooting and of course a lot of you know commercial photographers that's not necessarily the case they're going to be in a situation where they're shooting to order and they have a catalog or they have a certain thing they're trying to match and they have a creative director and an art director and that's more normal I've been very lucky in my career that I haven't had that sort of career path um, and I, I shoot for the sort of clients that I work with uh, give me a lot more latitude
1: I love that answer. It's funny. Ruben and I were just talking um, with a lot of different interviews now, where it's kind of the from a commercial photographer to a like fine art photographer to the the true like you know artist creator that is doing commercial art, but it's still you know with very much the artist mentality. Um, I was saying it's like what the the similarities are is the. Professional is they have to create the perfect shot. They have to envision what it's going to be, and then they have to actually execute on that. Whereas the documentary uh, photographer or the um, maybe someone doing uh, portraiture, they're sort of they're finding it. They're sort of working with what they have, and 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 sort of finding that moment that's existing. But what I love about your description is that you are truly envisioning, kind of creating the energy, all the things that go into this experience, and then facilitating that into. Its own manifestation, and it's like the energy. I love how you describe the hair is standing up on the back of your neck. It's almost like it's it's happening. This is it. This is it. This is now. I've done it.
2: Absolutely, it's very it's visceral.
0: It is, yeah. Do you do you ever use um, or how do you feel about post production? Do you use Photoshop? Do you your assistants like fix things a lot?
2: I, I wouldn't say a lot, but yes, of course. Uh, I think that one uses it, and and you know, there's it's always quite amusing to me when people say you know, hashtag unfiltered or hashtag no Photoshop right. or whatever. And I'm like, well, do you want to say hashtag no light? <laughs> like, because, you know, photography, you know, we, we, we play with the light. I use the light to do things, you know, and, and if you look at something like a Man Ray, for example, and his beautiful picture of the back of the woman that looks like the back of a violin, you know, that that picture only looks like that because of the way he lit it, right? And so the lighting itself, bleached her skin and burnt out that aspect of it and and then the shadow was was caused of the drama of her hips and her waist on the other side from the shadow but if you took the light away she wouldn't have had that dramatic figure right Mm -hmm. it was lit like that so are you saying that's fake is that photoshop is that filtered because she didn't look like that right that is what he did with the light And, Mm -hmm. and 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 so there's an element of We all do that. If you're a good photographer, you're a portrait photographer, you know how to light someone's face so that you get the light at the right angle for their eyes to catch that light because someone has a deep brow or a bigger nose or a shallow face or wide eyes or whatever it might be. There's an element of using the light to, to create the picture so that it, the person, it looks their most beautiful or looks whatever that you want it to look like. It is mm-hmm. grainy, it's pretty, it's difficult as you're creating that story. So you're sort of doing pre-production if you like with the lighting, which yes. is the same. It's a form of editing. And, uh, you know, so there's an element of, and then don't forget when you do print back in the day, your printer would dodge and burn and create mm-hmm. looks and feel feelings with the picture and help, you know, you cr- know, Burn in that sky, so it's more dramatic, and you know, be a bit lighter on the skin on the face if needs be, because the person had slightly rough skin and you, your your lighting didn't do what it's meant to have done. So there's all these fixes have always been there, um, you know. So and I also look at people and I say to them, well, did you brush your hair this morning? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and the woman will be like, well, of course I did. And I'm like, when well, you're wearing lipstick, aren't you? And I'm like, well, yes. And I'm you wearing eyeliner, aren't you? Are you not? Well, maybe, yeah, I am. Yeah, okay, I guess so. I'm like, well. Then you retouched yourself this morning. <laughs> I, I, you didn't get up. You didn't look that way when you woke up, did you? You had crazy bed head, and you had no lipstick on, and you know. You, so you've just done all that to yourself. So you every day you head out into the world with a sort of retouched look, you know. So th- this concept. We, we, I mean, again, that's not to say that I'm I'm pro heavy retouching or or pro photo manipulation. But I think if it has a disclaimer, or people know, or that's a part of it, if it's art, that's fine. But I think if obviously if it's a portrait of a person, you're not going to go in there and straighten their nose and you know change the width of their face and you know give them abs or whatever. It's like <laughs> no, it's not, right? But if they have abs, you know you can light them in a way that show them, or you can make it flat, and someone with abs can look like they don't have them. So, you know what I mean? So, there are all these things which are a part of the bigger story. And of course, one just has to use common sense, I think.
1: Well, you are, a, I mean, you are wow. a total pro. You are so good at giving really technical advice as well as artistic advice. Um, I mean, from America's Top Model on how to coach this, the models on sort of moving and what you were capturing. But also, you had another show um, called Top Photographer that I've watched the first few episodes of. And I really I really enjoyed how you interacted with the photographers and you would help direct them and even, you know, sort of set up the premise um, for those of you that aren't familiar with the show, but it was uh, the first episode, you actually had them shoot for thirty minutes, and they had no ability to retouch the photo. They had to shoot it, they had to share it, and be judged on something that came out of the camera. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about the, the the process of that show and kind of how you interact with young photographers? Or not, they weren't young and inexperienced, but they were. You were putting them in a situation that they hadn't experienced before. Um, but how you sort of coach photographers.
2: No, absolutely. I mean, I, I actually, Top Photographer, that was season one, and I partnered with Adorama, the photography store, yeah. um, and they have a great channel, Adorama TV, on YouTube, and you can check out Top Photographer there. And you'd be excited to know for all those out there, because I've been asked, I am asked this all the time, and you're hearing it first here, actually. <laughs> we're, we're actually working on a season two. Nice. So, coming along, and so it's rather exciting, and I've not mentioned it. This is the very first time. Um, <laughs> But um, we we really just closed the deal last week, so it's all very exciting. Um, But I I think it's very important to discuss photography and and give people the opportunity to showcase their work. And a show like Top Photographer, when you've got sort of a billion people out there taking pictures, oftentimes with a phone, you know, yet creating great imagery nonetheless, you know, shows that it's not always about the tool, the actual camera, obviously it's clearly about the eye and it's about, you know, honing that eye. And one of the fabulous things about social media and cameras on phones, um, despite the fact that obviously for a lot of purists out there, they get rather upset by a camera on a phone, um, is that it's, it's, it's very similar to giving a child a pencil and saying, you know, learn to draw or learn to write. If you don't do that, most people will never have a love of writing and reading and they will never have an understanding of art and be able to express themselves and of all the billions of people who are given a pencil a small fraction become authors and a small fraction become artists but everyone has an understanding and a love and an appreciation of it because we grew up with it and we were given that opportunity. See photographers never had that because we couldn't use a camera you couldn't it was expensive and as I mentioned it was it was something for the sort of elite to be, be able to play with cameras now of course they come on every phone so all of a sudden there's a billion people on mass who've been given the equivalent of a pencil for the very first time in their life and then said express yourself and but people can do that with a camera on their phone so you're getting this extraordinary number of people who actually have the eye and can take magnificent photographs with a phone. Imagine what it would be like if they were given a camera. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> God, the competition would be outrageous. I think that's probably why most, most photographers hate this because they can't bear the fact that someone else is actually going to be potentially is better than them um, with with a phone. Um, and, and can do more magic with a phone than they can do with a sort of twenty thousand dollar camera. What would be your
0: um, What would be your advice to like um, a lot of our listeners are iPhone users, they're just camp- smartphone users.
2: How good
0: for you. just take pictures, or is there more advice you'd give them to like really improve their photography?
2: Well, no, of course. I mean, there's always advice and there's always, you know, things you could pros and cons and this and that. I think that don't, don't get wrapped up in the in the camera itself. And, and, you know, trust me, Canon and Sony and everyone else doesn't want me to say that. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. You've got to have my Canon 5D Mark IV, you know, with this lens that does this, blah, blah, blah. you know, and you've got to have this, this this situation and that situation. And I'm like, actually, you don't. Quite frankly, you know, there are times and there's a time and a place and reasons for why you need obviously expensive cameras. And that boils down more to things like if I'm shooting a billboard that's going to be in Times Square, I need a sensor on the back of my camera that has enough pixels so that when I blow that photograph up, it can actually withstand that kind of magnitude of 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 enlargement. You know, and that is the why the sensor is so important and not to mention, obviously, the way the colors are collected and and, and you know, and all the rest of it. But other than that, will it give me a different eye? No. Of course, the lens itself has a beauty to it and a perspective. So, yes, having the ability to select the correct lens, that will. Um, But... The general idea, the concept, the understanding of aesthetics doesn't come from the camera. It's like asking a Formula One car race. It's sort of you know yes, obviously the car, but everyone goes in the same car. So then how? Who, why does one guy win and the other guy lose?
1: It's in a tool. Of, how do you it's use it?
2: Tools. Exactly. So there's an understanding of, of 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 more the the concept of the road and you how you're going to take a turn and and being one with it all. But so don't you that- think? It. Don't you think you
0: take pictures differently if you know it's going on Instagram or social media versus if it's being printed or in a magazine? I mean, doesn't the output change some way that you think about what you're taking or
2: what you like? I guess it depends on who you are. It doesn't for me, you see. So I, I am acting as if I'm shooting the cover of Vogue at all times. <laughs> even that a picture of my dog. They must you be great dog pictures. pictures. Oh, trust me. It's, it, no matter what... You know, I, I, look, i I feel like I cook dinner at night, even if I'm making eggs, it's as if I'm cooking you know a sort of gourmet dinner or something. I always <laughs> like to, but that's me. I mean, I'm also just ridiculously passionate about things that I do, and I kind of love to get really into it. and 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 that's just my own you know sort of joy of life and and the way I do it. you know, but it's it doesn't work for everyone, and nor does it mean that that has to you have to be like that in order to get good pictures or do anything. I know photographers out there who are very kind of droll and quiet, but take magnificent, exquisite photography, right? Because it's a different thing. It depends what you're shooting and what, you know, if you're shooting still life, there's inanimate objects not talking back to you, but it doesn't mean that, you know, obviously you can't get incredibly beautiful, detailed, gorgeous pictures that say something, and it's a very different environment. I work with models, fashion and stuff like that and there's normally music blasting and hair dryers going and wind machines and you know there's a lot of stuff happening so to be a part of that and to be able to kind of cajole that and be a ringmaster to kind of work within that world it takes a certain personality I guess.
1: And the passion is contagious, I think, too. It's, you, you know what I mean? You're, 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 part of the, you're part of that energy that you're then able to capture. Um, I have a question just to pivot a little bit. Do you have an image that you've taken that you would like to be remembered for? <laughs>
2: uh, that I'd like to be remembered for that I will be remembered for?
1: <laughs> <laughs> both if you, <laughs> you indulge
2: me. There are all of the above, I think. I, I, I mean, look, I, I, um, yeah, I say the, 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 the image that I take tomorrow Ooh, nice. is, is the one I'd like to be remembered for. Um, and, you know, and sure. And I say that without trying to be sound trite. Um, <laughs> but but it, it's because, you know, obviously you're only as good as in a way as the last picture you've taken. And the, the promise of what happens tomorrow is always very exciting. And I, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to live in the moment. I don't really look back really ever. Um, I'm very much a forward-thinking person, but I also love to be here, right here, right now. And I think that's the power of photography, is that you are in that moment. Your job is to capture that very essence of that moment that's happening right here, right now. And you have to be so aware of that moment, because you're going to capture the tiniest fraction of a second. And if you're off by fifty of a second, the look in that eye, the slight blink, the slight fraction is gone. So you you have to tune in to the I feel like the zeitgeist of what's happening at that moment to such a minute detail that everything. It's almost like you know we do. I talk about it like, and it sounds silly, but you know you, you start. I'm a big Star Wars and Trekkie and all the rest of it fan. but... <laughs> The force, I talk about, that. I love the concept of the force because yeah. I feel like if you tune in to the force of, of what is happening around you in the world, that you really, you can feel it and it becomes, like I said, I use that word visceral, but and the hair standing up on the end of my head, is because of all of that, I feel like I'm plugged in you know, you know whether it, and you can really kind of feel what's happening. So when that moment happens, when that look in that eye, when the body turns, when the wind just hits the hair just right, and the person says something, the music hits, and it's like a crescendo, and you boom, and you got that moment. You're like, damn it, boom. Yeah. I was this, just
1: going to say you're uh, like a you're like a conductor. You're, you've got your orchestra and you've pulled them together into that massive, you know, massive crescendo.
0: I like the ringmaster idea at the circus. <laughs> you've got all this crazy going on that you're just
2: controlling. Well, that, and, 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 it's, and it's, you know, it can sound negative to say controlling, but that's what you're paid to do. You're not paid to be there and hope it happens. You can. You can mm. sit outside a rabbit hole and then hope for the rabbit to poke its head out, and it may do, you know, or you send a ferret down the other side and like, <laughs> then, like, oh my goodness. You know, uh, I had it very early on in my career, I, I, you know, before I had a career, and I remember I was in high school, I learned you know, how to sort of provoke, I guess, in my own way, uh, a picture to happen. Uh, you know, I was photographing guys doing, um, I guess it was soccer that they were playing. And um, you know people were trying to score goals and what have you. And if you were lucky and someone scored and you caught them trying to shoot that goal, that would be a picture that they would want to print and buy off you potentially, you know? And so I was, you know, you'd always try and get that picture. And, you know, and if it was just a picture of the game, Eh, you know, maybe someone might pick it there. Maybe they want the team picture or whatever. But otherwise, it was, you know, there wasn't really, people aren't going to buy that picture. So, what I started doing was, was thinking, well, wait a second. I could just set this up. I could have every single member of the team shoot at the goal. I'll set it up. I'll be behind the goal, the, the, you know, the net. The ball will come at me. The goalie would be there. The guy would look fantastic. It would be, shooting the ball <laughs> as if that moment had happened. And I'll just shoot everyone like that. And then I can leave. And, and it, <laughs> Thing And at age sort of 15, 16, I figured out, my goodness, if you make everyone look like a winner, yeah. they'll buy the picture. And it was as simple as that. It was like this dawn of like, wow, make them look like a winner and you're done. And it's sort of like, and it's the secret to success in many ways. Shoot a winning picture and you, and you don't have to wait to hope you get the win. You just set it up. I
1: mean, you said it so well. Don't get paid to fail, and then just shoot the winning picture and you win every time.
2: That's
0: so good. Um, you're doing so many projects right now. I mean, uh, photography is what how so many people know you, but you have a huge range of, of things you're doing, uh, your humanitarian work, other types of products. What's next for you? Like, what do you I mean, I'm glad to hear about the show, but what else is going on for you?
2: Well, I've, uh, one of my fun things that I've just done, um, I've just launched actually, is a, a podcast as well um, called "Shaken and Stirred," uh, which is a lot of fun. I, you know, I, 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 one of the things I like to do is think of what something that I just want to do, and it's it's not necessarily something that someone comes to me and says, "Oh, you should do this," or "Here's an opportunity." And this goes to photography too, by the way. I've never been someone to sit back and have someone come up to me and say, we'd like you to shoot for X, Y, and Z, or, you know, we've looked at your portfolio online or we've discovered your work, we'd like. that happens. Obviously, people come to you and try to book you um, for work, but I've always been very proactive. I've actually always looked out there and thought, I should be working for them. I can do a better job than that. They need my perspective. Let me think about that campaign that they just shot for so-and-so. I wouldn't have done it like that. And then what I do is not just sit back and be like, oh, I know I can do it better, and then wait for them to call me. No, I either then go and shoot an example of what that is and you know, go to the client and say, this is how I would have done it. Or would you like to see it like this? Or I would love to work for you because I think your product is beautiful and amazing and it moves me personally. And this is how I would like to be a part of your business is how i would like to you know showcase your products and and what have you and so whatever it might be and with my podcast shaken and stirred um i partnered with my oldest friend who i met at boarding school when i was 14 years old uh his name is tom astor and um he's not from television he's not from entertainment he's not from the fashion industry he's a farmer in oxford england (laughs) nice he is on though on the other hand one of the best raconteurs I know, uh, <laughs> a fabulous guy. He loves a good cocktail, makes <laughs> a great cocktail, and we, over the years, over the past thirty-five years, over you know boozy brunches and long lunches and you know cocktails <laughs> over dinner, have had some of the most fantastic conversations of my life. And we decided to turn that into a podcast and so we call it shaken and stirred and we like to shake and stir the conversation up over a cocktail with a guest and uh, we just have recorded 21 episodes so far and we've launched uh, two or three launches last week at South by Southwest and um we're having a lot of fun with it. And to be honest with you, it's a really kind of, you know, any excuse for to have a tequila or to have a you know, beautiful <laughs> gin or, or a whiskey, we talk about the history of the alcohol. And, you know, I'm very interested in where things came from and why, where they started. And, you know, the fact that something like a gin was one of the very original alcohols and it was actually created for medicinal reasons um, It with helped both with things like uh, menstrual cramps and it also helped, uh, you know, with, just to, to help with things like headache and, and you know and, and that's one of the main reasons why alcohol was created in the first place was not just to to, to drink and get drunk but rather to for medicinal reasons and well, that's why coffee. i use
0: it yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah
2: my my great aunt who lived until she was 96 would always have a glass of sherry in the evening and be, look at me and be like Darling, it's for medicinal reasons only, <laughs> you know. And, 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 the, and the, the poor love, I mean, she lived she was 96, so obviously, clearly it worked, um, you know, but it, it, was, it was always interesting. I mean, gin and tonic, the word tonic, you all know that tonic is, a, is a, something that you use to heal yourself with. And yeah. in fact, tonic was a, a water that was, um, contained quinine, um, right. which is uh, an anti-malarial. Right. Uh, so when the English went to, you know, colonial England went to India, and that malaria was such a problem, they were drinking this tonic, and to make the tonic, which was quite bitter, because quinine is quite bitter, to make it more tasty, they added the gin, and it had a double effect because it had a pain killing and a uh, menstrual cramp uh, reducing aspect to the gin, plus the quinine made it anti-malarial. So this thing, gin and tonic, was something that everyone drank every day, like clockwork at five. Of course, now, of course, everyone says it's five o'clock somewhere. But uh, there's a great <laughs> story to, as to why and where and, and what. I had no all- idea we'd
0: get so much great medical information on this. I'm going to go restock my medicine cabinet.
2: <laughs> I know. It's not a bar. It's a medicine cabinet. Right. <laughs> exactly. Excellent spin.
1: If you could summarize your work in one word, what word would you choose?
2: If I was to summarize my work with one word, I, I mean, I, I guess it depends on, you know, what I'm doing, I feel like I've been. For example, lucky comes to mind straight away. However, I'm not a big believer in luck in general. Um, I think opportunity is something that I, I've had, and I think people have. And it's about grabbing yeah. opportunity and deal, doing something with it. Um, nice. You know, I think really for me, the one thing I, I look for in my work is narrative, mm-hmm. is story, mm-hmm. and. That for me is the most important thing to, in anything that you do. It's and there's a very overused word like authenticity, uh, being authentic. That you know, obviously, I think is is key. Uh, but it doesn't mean that that has to be real as a result. I think that you know, again, words like authentic, real, true, honest, loyal, I, they're all fabulous words. But stand, they stand alone. They can they can be very sort of controlling words. And I feel that there's an element where, you know, I love fantasy, I love make believe, um, I love sci-fi. I like to take people from one place to another. And it's that journey that is for me in whatever I do is a big part of it. So whether it's a podcast and it's a story and it's taking a drink that everyone knows and saying, well, actually, here's the whole history and the story behind it. And when that person, my guest first had that drink or whatever it might be, when it's one of my photographs, it's who is this person I'm shooting? What are they doing? What have they done? And what do they want to do next? You know, it's all of those things coming together so that there's some kind of message there's some sort of story, because otherwise life is blah. Right, so perhaps that's the word. I'll give you story. I love it. I like it. Yeah, very much.
0: Is there a, a, a photograph on your wall that you didn't take that like inspires you?
2: That's up, literally up in your home. Yes, there is. Can you I describe have, it? Absolutely. I'm not in the room with it right now, so I can't show it to you. But it's, it's uh, it was a fortieth um, birthday gift from my wife to me, and it's the it's the the band Led Zeppelin standing outside of their Led Zeppelin jet and it's a really big picture and it's signed and numbered and they're standing there with their shirts open and their tight pants with rather too much being revealed in their tight pants and just, you know, like, and every time and i've loved zeppelin and the songs like stairway to heaven and i just look at that picture every single time i walk out the house and i look at those guys with their long crazy hair their skinny scrawny bodies but they look like hunks and i think to myself Rock and roll, man. Let's go do this. Nice. And I walk out the door as if I'm going on stage and it's just <laughs> all I'm doing is leaving the house. <laughs> like <laughs> That's Well, great. it's got
1: that story. It's got a big story behind it. Yeah, Nigel, nice. thank you so much. I absolutely have enjoyed our conversation and I can't wait to tune into your Shaken and Stirred podcast. Our show is recorded and produced in San Francisco. Go to neomodern.com slash podcast to get show notes, see photos, and post comments. Please leave reviews and ratings on iTunes, and don't forget to subscribe.
0: We get new listeners from you telling your friends and spreading the word. If you know someone who might get something from us, send them the link. Thanks, to Mitchell Foreman, for our theme music, and thanks for all of you for hanging out with us. We appreciate your attention and hope we've given you some things to think about. Until next time.